Empire. How a crowd interacts in stadium. There's data for that. So I do think that we're seeing, you know, trend-wise, the new venues are certainly making a difference. And it might not even be with the with the home team fans. I think a lot of the new venues are being built. They think that it's going to rally their fan base and that everybody's potentially going to start coming out in masses as well. But it really is bringing in a lot of opposing team fans. That's Rachel Goodger, Chief Revenue Officer for Crowd IQ, where teams are studying how to give more of what fans want. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. You are being watched, which is modern and a little off-putting, but in the case of Crowd IQ, purposeful for teams to learn about how you like to spend your time in stadium. Our guest this week is Rachel Goodger. She is the Chief Revenue Officer of Crowd IQ. It's a company built by FanCam, and they are looking into how a crowd engages and what their habits are in stadium. Hey, Rachel, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Bram? I'm great. Um, all right, tell me a little bit about what you guys do. What is Crowd IQ? That's a great question. Um, so Crowd IQ, we combine high-resolution gigapixel photography with uh, best-in-class computer vision and basically provide our partners with actionable insights on the composition and behavior of their crowds. Um, the easiest way to, to say is anything that you and I can deduce from a still image we can train a computer to detect. So anything from um, what a fan's wearing, if they're in a certain team's merchandise or jersey, um, to approximate age or gender, whether they're in their seats or even to a certain extent, potentially where they're where they're looking. I got to tell you, it's a little creepy. Not <laughs> not hugely creepy, but a little bit. Um, how, how do you know? You, <laughs> so just explain that a little bit. Yeah, we, we do we do get that a lot. Um, that's oftentimes the the first impression. I will I guess start out by saying we don't do facial recognition. Okay. I can't tell you who somebody in the crowd is. In order for us to do that, you need to have somebody's face and then another image of their face and the name tied to that face. Um, it is recognizing someone. In this instance, uh, I almost call it the fancy intern. Um, a computer can do it way faster than you and I can, but I know we've worked with a lot of teams who said. They would literally have in and count, you know, section by section. Huh. Um, okay, we think this is a kid. We think this is an adult. We think, you know, this is a fan of our team. This is a fan of the opposing team. And they would go through section by section and just count with binoculars from the press box. Um, that's essentially what we are doing. We have photos of each section. And instead of the intern or you and I having to go through and count 50, 60, 70,000 fans, we have the computer do it uh, in a second. Got it. Okay. So, um, well, since you mentioned it, I'll bring it up because I just want to hear what your opinion is of it because it's gotten in the news lately. Facial recognition yeah. technology, it is being used. Um, the New York Times did a big piece about how it's being used by the New York Knicks, which is its own set of interesting issues. Um, yeah. But as you kind of, since you are in this realm and you are learning about fans and you're identifying at least certain facets of who they are, um, how do you view facial recognition technology being used at sporting events at some point? I mean, I, I think it's probably the future at some point, but it's not the space that we are in. 
And when it comes to facial recognition, I think we're in kind of a gray area now where places are potentially doing it without fans' permission. Um, yeah. And I mean, our stance on that is, is it's wrong. Um, there is a time and a place. I mean, you've got clear in the airports, but it's a place where fans are opting into having their face scanned and saying, this is me. Um, if there's not an opt-in, if there's not permission, um, I don't think there's, you know, really a reason to be doing it outside of a potential security or safety risk, which of course, you know, you look at the government in certain areas where TSA, where they might be doing that. Um, but in a, in a sports venue right now, um, maybe, maybe not the time and place. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what you are trying to figure out about fans. Um, all right. So uh, if uh, I would imagine that a team could just look at sales at concessions and have an idea of how much merchandise or food was sold. Um, are you learning in that aspect differently in providing some kind of information to teams about how their fans are consuming in the stadium? For sure. I mean, I think there's a big difference between what fans are buying and then what they are potentially actually wearing. Uh, we do have a partner where we break down every single game, not just the jersey color with the fans, but the specific one. You know, it's this jersey color with this number color um, and vice versa. And we did have uh, one NFL partner who picked their um, home team jersey color based on this information, knowing the oh. popularity of what fans are wearing to the venue itself. But I think you can see a, a lot of new information when you start overlaying things like the merchandise analysis on top of demographics. Uh, what is Gen Z wearing um, compared to boomers? Do female fans differ from male fans, which we often see, you know, female fans tend to not be wearing uh, team licensed hats um, in any way, shape or form. Usually it's five, six percent of the crowd that's wearing um, hats on the female side. So how do teams you maybe target these fans to purchase more of that specific item um, or maybe they need to modify their merchandise to provide something towards that demographic. Maybe they aren't wearing and buying that demographic, uh, excuse me, that piece of merchandise um, because they haven't had anything that's been made for them. Are you surprised by these results? I mean, that's that you find out some uh, things about fan bases that I'm sure the teams are going, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, surprised oftentimes. I think the biggest thing that we've seen over the past five or so years is the age of fans in baseball being on average 10 years younger than the data that teams have oh. and the ticket data. And I think a, a big part of that is is all these teams are basing decisions off of their ticket data and their season ticket data. But the ticket buyer isn't the only person that enters the venue. If you know, dad takes his three kids to the game, uh, that demographic is not 45 or 55. It's going to be skewing way younger and obviously yeah. ticket data isn't provided on on kids and, and under 18 so if we can tell you there's approximately 10,000 kids in the ballpark tonight that's going to make a really big difference on on what your demographic breakdown looks like okay and then um you are focused uh, obviously on the in-game experience by giving this information back to the teams baseball's a very very good um, example to do with this. I think the television ratings would probably tell a very different story about the demographic of who is watching baseball games, but you mm -hmm. are maybe presenting that this is something that young kids are taking part in, whether dragged by their fathers who love baseball or are young fans. So what is what are actionable items in a game day experience that teams and you are thinking about as you try to figure out who the audience actually is? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is just relaying this information, one, back to sponsors um, and being able to have conversations with your sponsors saying, OK, we're 35, we're not 45. Does that make a difference in the way that you advertise in venue um, or the activations you want to provide to fans? 
does it change in between each inning? Obviously, baseball has so much going on in between each inning. Um, does it modify that experience? Same thing on the NFL side. When you're looking at halftime shows, um, we did have uh, we've got something called Crowdflow. So these images are captured not just once, but about every 15 minutes. And we had a team ask us, okay, can you tell us um, how our different generations move, our Gen X, our Gen Z, our Gen Y, our boomers move throughout the stadium? Because we have a theory that the younger demographic uh, is staying in their seats at halftime. They're not going to the bathroom. They're not buying beer. So are they hanging out? Oh. And should we modify our halftime show based on this this information? Because, all right, our, our 40-year-old fans are are standing in the bathroom line or getting a beer, but our, our 20 or, or 15 or 16-year-old fans, they're still sitting in their seats. So why are we you know, doing this at halftime versus this? So there's a lot of different things that you can do um, you know, on a, on a high level, but then getting more granular too, seeing if certain ticket promotions are working. We've seen with some teams that they've got their family section, but it's not family sitting in the family section, it's college kids because it still is the <laughs> cheapest ticket and that's where you get a free hot dog. So right. do, you, do you need to modify your, your messaging a little bit um, if you're trying to target more families or could you, you know, potentially target even more college age kids and increase the amount of fans in that demographic that are there with the right messaging um, because obviously they want to attend and they want to buy the ticket at that price. This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. Have you run into teams are literally, like, what do they change? Halftime's still halftime. What what are they, it's a certain amount of time. There's only so much time to do whatever you want to do. They're changing what? The act? Or they're changing something that would maybe be more appealing to the demographic of people who are actually going to sit there and maybe pay attention to it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's all of the above. The big thing is that halftime shows, especially if you look at the NFL, the cost of those varies drastically i went to the uh the afc championship game on uh, on sunday night and fat joe was the halftime entertainment <laughs> i'm guessing that that cost the, i'm sure that the nfl helped you know with that with being the afc yeah. championship but i'm guessing that also cost the chiefs a, a pretty penny but did fat joe perform as well as the dog that chases the frisbee uh you know <laughs> across the field yeah. <laughs> potentially more fans may have stayed in their seats for that um at i don't know a tenth of the cost so uh how do fans kind of um, react to the halftime entertainment and can it affect the team's bottom line and, and how they're spending. Fat Joe does make the CBS telecast at some point. That dog better do something pretty darn amazing to make the CBS telecast. So there's a lot that goes into all this stuff for sure. Of course. Of course yeah. there is that. No, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, what else are you finding out about demographics these days? Is there anything that you can kind of share that's happening around the country that you're seeing is trends of fandom? Yeah, I think in general, from a demographic perspective, fans are younger than teams think. And I think a big part of that is is the ticket data. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the oldest fan in the group is buying the ticket. And that's the information that these, these teams have. Um, I think another big piece is um, our merchandise analysis, knowing um, what percentage of the crowd is potentially the home team versus the away team. Uh, we did have one partner who came to us and said, we have a massive list of emails that we've received from 
transferred tickets. All these fans bought transferred tickets. We have email addresses. We don't know who they are, um, if they're a fan of our team or the opposing team. And so they're able to give us the list of, here are all the seats that had transferred ticket fans in them. Can you tell us if they were wearing our merchandise or the opposing team merchandise? Mm. And we can segment those email lists, potentially even email the opposing team fans when we play their team again and say, okay, we have single game tickets for you. Buy these and stop bombarding opposing team fans with a, you know, season ticket messaging that they're just going to unsubscribe from because it's not even their, their team. Don't tell the P1 fans that you are emailing the opposing team fans to even show up for the single games. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> never want to hear it. No one, no one wants to hear it, but uh, you know, when it comes down to it, everybody just wants their stadium to be. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you about that because it, this is, again, this is perception stuff. Like, like had you had said that baseball has this perception. It's an older sport, but what you're seeing is actually a lot of younger people are going to the stadium, how they're getting there maybe is in question, but like at least they're going and they're attending mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Um, it just appears perceptually that more away fans are going to games in general across the country. Are you seeing a trend of that traveling to or making it a purpose to go to your favorite team's game in a different stadium? Is that happening uh, on a larger scale? I think we're seeing it, but it depends certainly on, on the sport. Um, we're definitely seeing it in the NFL because you have eight games and fans are going to travel for that. When you look at potentially, you know, the NHL where there's 40 something games, um, I don't know if it's as rare or as much of a treat to potentially travel um, to an opposing team, but that's where the venue comes into play. Um, we have eight partners in the NFL, obviously a lot of different venues from indoor to outdoor all across the country. Um, the new fancy venues in the, uh, in the, the shine fans travel and they show up at those places, um, in mass versus other areas. We certainly don't see, um, it be as much of an impact. So I do think that we're seeing, you know, trend wise, the new venues are certainly making a difference. And it might not even be with the with the home team fans. I think a lot of the new venues are being built. They think that it's going to rally their fan base and that everybody's potentially going to start coming out in masses as well. But it really is bringing in a lot of opposing team fans. Yeah, I, I am the voice of the Washington Commanders. We went to Las Vegas last year. It mm-hmm. was overrun with people in Burgundy and Gold. And obviously everybody there was telling me, you know, this is every week with us that like everybody wants to travel into it, but at least Vegas is a destination spot. You're seeing this across the board just with new venues when they pop up, that that is a draw for opposing fans to want to go just see them and experience them. New venues. And then I think it's, you know, multiplied when it's new venues in a shiny place, you know, right. uh, Vegas, LA, these beautiful, always, it's always going to be um, Dallas and AT&T stadium just because it's AT&T stadium. Um, and it is the Cowboys, of course. So the team certainly makes a difference, but it is a trend um, that we're definitely seeing. Uh, the, the Vegas is not a partner of ours would, would love to work with them because yeah, that's such an interesting dynamic there. Um, and it's interesting to see how I think ownership groups and front office staff, deals with that. How do you deal with the fact that home team advantage is potentially not home team advantage um, because of your location or because of your shiny new stadium? Fans want to be there, um, whether it's your fan or or the opposing team. Okay. I'll leave you with this. Um, What are your blind spots? What do you guys, what do you want to learn about fans that you don't know yet that you're trying to improve through technology? I think a big thing is just using our data and overlaying it with our partner's data more. Uh, we really do have a, a holistic coverage of the bowl. We don't touch the concourses. You know, you've got 
uh, the wait times and the armored things of the world who, who monitor the concourses and the, and the lines there. Um, for us, our expertise really is the bowl area. Um, but our data alone, while very interesting, becomes incredibly valued, valuable when you overlay it with your other data sources. For example, the team has their Ticketmaster data. They know the amount of fans that have scanned into the venue. Um, section 100, uh, you have 90% of fans that have scanned in. But with our data, you can see at kickoff, only 60% of them are in their seats. Huh. So, you know, what do you do with that? Are they going through the wrong entrances? Are they getting jammed up in concourse lines? What does that look like? I think our goal and vision for the future, though, is just to continue to build out the technology. It is very new, um, but to get more of a holistic picture so that we can go from, um, like we do now, the time the doors open until the end of the game and uh, give that holistic experience and, uh, and view to our partners. And so part of this is just to help a team understand how their stadium is operating in real time to, to make it a more pleasant sure. experience. I mean, that's, that's really what the goal of all of this is. Um, I think on, on the team side, we're obviously working a lot with, uh, with sponsorship folks, but um, our main partners are on the data and analytics side, and their goal is to be able to help out the organization better the fan experience. Um, if, I think if, if every team has a better idea of, of who is in their venue from a demographic perspective, you can better the experience for that fan. You can target with music. You can target with the entertainment. You can even change up the advertisement just to make it more applicable to who is actually in the mm. venue. Um, and I think that you know teams are doing a disservice to their fans if they don't know who they are and they're guessing. And don't know how to speak to them. It's really interesting. Rachel Goodger mm-hmm. is the Chief Revenue Officer of Crowd IQ. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bram. On the next Future Sport Podcast. Peer-to-peer betting is growing. Media and advertising uh, industry has done a really good job of marketing the sport product to the casual better in the U.S. And I think that they've done a much better job of that in marketing that to retail than they do internationally, right? So I think that that is also a driving factor of things such as like same-game parlays. That's Varun Sadakar, CEO of BetDex, who is helping build a modern peer-to-peer market powered on the blockchain. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.